Let's take God's word together again and turn to the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 14. And I'd like to look at just the last six verses of the chapter of the of the chapter 14, verses 40 to 45. And look at it with me, please. You may be thinking, are you going to squeeze more out of this chapter? Just one more. One more sermon from this chapter, then Lord willing, next week we'll move on to the next. But the last time we looked at this chapter, we considered that little question, who, who are you listening to? And that's a pertinent question today, isn't it? Because there are a lot of people listening to the wrong people. And there are many voices to consider in the world today. But there is really only one voice worth listening to. That's not my voice, but that's the voice of Almighty God. There's only one voice worth hearing and following. But this morning I want to speak to you about the consequence of not following that voice. We find a very interesting expression in this portion. Read with me again in verse number 40 of Numbers 14. They rose up early in the morning after hearing the news of what was going to happen. You remember the story, they were told, because they would not enter into the promised land, they were told, fine, turn around and you'll spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. After they heard that, they didn't really like that news. So they decided they'd try to do what they should have done in the beginning. And so in verse 40, they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain saying, lo, we be here and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. For we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. I've underlined that expression in my Bible. It shall not prosper. I wonder if you've ever been in the place in your life when you have been living day after day and it seems to be one problem right after the next and you just cannot seem to prosper in anything at all. You ever been there before? No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, have you ever felt like all of your efforts and all of your energy and all of your labor seems to be for nothing? And perhaps you're trying to do your best to do all the right things, but you just cannot seem to catch a break. We sometimes examine and we analyze our lives and we search for things that might be a weak area. We look for the missing link and we think if I add this here and I take this away there, then maybe things will work out. But at the end of the day, we have no joy at all, no success. We seem to be no further on than we were when we started. And we find Israel in a very similar situation. I remind you that they had refused to obey the Lord's command. They had refused to enter into the promised land. And they had many logical reasons for why they shouldn't go. They had some good explanations as to why they should not obey God and why they could not enter into the promised land. They were very logical about it and very precise about why they couldn't obey. I I think it's an interesting fact that humans, we are very good at coming up with good excuses for not obeying God. We are very good. But coming up with reasons why we cannot or should not or could not. And we have a long list of excuses and reasons. We keep them in our back pocket 
So the next time we feel convicted or guilty about not following the Lord and not obeying him, we, we pull out that list and choose the excuse or the reason that best suits us at the time. At the end of the day, they were disobeying. And it was because of unbelief. And now we read, Tommy read a moment ago, we read of their reward, the consequence of disobedience. I just say to you this morning that the consequence of disobedience is always grim. Always. And it might appear that you're getting away with disobedience for a season. It might look like everything's still okay. Your life is still going on. And it might appear to be okay. But can I just uh, very gently prod you to say that the consequence of disobedience is always grim. Always. And the Lord says very plainly, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. You don't want to obey me. You don't want to enter in. Then your carcasses, each one of your bodies will fall in this wilderness. And many of them thought, well, does that mean right now? In verse 34, the Lord explains it a little more. In the number of days in which ye search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even for 40 years. God said this, I'm going to let you carry your iniquities for 40 years. For 40, the next 40 years, you shall bear and carry the consequence of your sin. And the Bible says the people mourned greatly. And so would we, wouldn't we? So would you, if the voice of God visited you today and said, because you have refused to obey me time and time again, for the next 40 years, you're going to live just like you're living right now, beneath what I have offered you, so far below what you could have, joy in his presence, intimacy with him, fruitfulness with him. I'm going to let you live like you are right now for 40 years. Would you look this way for a moment? I wonder if God were to sentence you today to 40 years of your present condition, would you be happy with that sentence? Think about it. The way you're living right now, the way you're walking right now, if God were to say to you today, okay, I'm going to freeze you for the next 40 years in exactly the same location you are spiritually, would you be happy about that? Or would you say, please no? Now, I wonder how many of you know that the Lord has more for you than what you have right now. Do you believe that? How many of you know God has more for you? I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that. If not, then it wouldn't make a difference if God gave you your present circumstance for the next 40 years. And the scriptures give us the indication that they probably didn't sleep much that night. I wouldn't. If God said to me, you know what, enough is enough. For the next 40 years, you're going to wander about in this wilderness and your body is going to die here. I probably wouldn't sleep well. Thinking about being stuck here. Thinking about being stuck in this routine. Being stuck in this unending routine of constantly looking and trying and failing and up and down and getting it wrong. No way I wouldn't sleep well. I imagine they didn't sleep well. They got up early in the morning, the Bible says. They rose up early, verse 40. They rose up early in the morning and they get them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, look, here we are. 
Lo, we be here and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. We've decided we're going to obey. Lord, we thought about it all night long. We've decided we're going to do what you told us to do in the first place. They got up. They had to do something. They could see that the way their lives were headed right now was headed for 40 years of devastation and destruction. They knew something needed to change. The penny had finally dropped. It had finally dawned upon them that they had been very foolish. But can I tell you something? It was too late. It was too late. And one of the greatest tragedies in the Christian world today is that many people will wait until it is too late before they acknowledge their foolishness and disobedience. Many people will wait until the die has been cast. Many people will wait until they're so far gone, so far into it that there's no turning back. Where they had determined they were going to make it right. Okay, they gathered together. Look, we, we should have gone in. We shouldn't have listened to those 10. We shouldn't have listened to Caleb and Joshua. We should have, we should have gone in. We made a, we made a big mistake. I'll tell you what we'll do in the morning. We'll go in. It was too late. And Moses said in verse, in verse 41, look, why do you, why now, why are you now transgressing the commandment of the Lord? It shall not prosper. It's not going to work. It's an interesting thought. The idea that obedience, it's possible for your obedience to not be prosperous because you waited too long. I can remember being called to the bedside of a dying man several years ago. I had spoken to him more than a year before that. He was having a, he had a big problem with alcohol. His brother had rung me up and asked me to speak to him. I went to visit him. I brought my Bible under my arm and visited him, him and his mother and father's home. Young man, 42 years old. At that time, he was 41. And I pleaded with him. I pleaded with him to turn from his sins and look to Christ. I pleaded with him. Several children, several young children, wife. I pleaded with him to stop. And he drank two bottles of vodka in the space of an hour in front of me. Finally, at the end of my conversation, I prayed with him. I wrote a message in the front of my Bible. And I handed him my Bible. And I said, when you're ready, call upon the Lord. You let me know. I wrote my number in the front of the Bible. A year later, he called me. But it was from a hospital bed. His liver had failed. Packed up. The doctor said, we cannot give you a liver transplant because of your alcoholism. We cannot give a liver to you when somebody else could desperately need it who's not an alcoholic. And three months later, he died. I visited him there and he said, is it too late? Do you think it's too late for me? And I said to him, it's never too late to get right with God. I do not know how much time you'll be given to live. I do not know how many more opportunities you'll have to serve him. I do not know how many more days you will be given to live. But I do know it's never too late if you're alive, if you're breathing, you can still be right with God. And he asked the Lord to work in his heart to save him. But he only had three months left and it was too late to change his mind about the drink. He'd gone too far. He'd gone too far. 
You say, but I, I, God is gracious and he's merciful and surely he will, he'll give me another chance. Or he'll always give you another chance spiritually if, if you be alive. Well, I don't know that to be true, but as long as you're thinking that, then you can count on him perhaps giving you another chance. But I do not know. I do not know if you'll ever be given another chance, another opportunity to serve God, to do what you could do and should have done. I do not know that. Do you know that in hell there will be tormented souls who cry out for mercy day and night, even right now, but it's too late. They could have and should have cried out for mercy when they were alive, and maybe some of you today are still prolonging your coming to Christ, and you say, not yet, I'm not ready, I'm young, I want to live for my own self, I want to enjoy life a little bit more, but can I tell you, if you leave it too long, it'll be too late. Israel had been given the opportunity to enter into the land, to enter into the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And they had the promise that if they would only enter in, they would have victory over all armies, over all enemy. They would have prosperity, but they refused. You know, we're living in a world of people refusing. Refusing to obey the Lord, refusing to enter in. Jesus speaks in Matthew 23 and verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. You wouldn't let me. Over and over this morning, he beckons you, come in that A little parable that we love so well. We have looked at it so often. Matthew 22. And the kingdom of heaven being likened to a certain king that made a marriage. And when everything was ready, he invited the people to come. And the Bible says in verse 3, he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. They refused to come. And this morning, God in his mercy sends out the invitation again, come. But many won't. Many refuse. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 1, a very interesting portion of scripture, a a wise man writing to his son to invest wisdom, to impart wisdom to him. And he says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 24, listen to these, these words, very sober words. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded But ye have set at naught all of my counsel, and would none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. And therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with all their own devices. Some this morning are eating the fruit of their own way. Some this morning are filled with their own devices. Can I ask you how many opportunities has God given you? How many chances has God given you and you have refused time and time again? Maybe you are unconverted this morning. You've, you're, you're refusing Christ. You're not yet 
yielded to the Messiah, you've not yet bowed the knee to Jesus, he's not yet your Lord and Savior, and you still remain at arm's length from him, you admire him from a distance, but you refuse to come, how much longer will you refuse him? How many more times will the Spirit speak to you, convicting you of your need of a Savior? How many times will he speak to you and you will say, not today? Perhaps you are a believer, but you're not living the way you should live, and you know that God has been dealing with you day after day about yielding to him and living for him more completely. Maybe you're, you're straddling the fence, one foot in the world and, and one foot in the things of God. It doesn't work, my friend. How many more times does God have to invite you to come down off the fence? How many more times does God have to shake you and stir you and say, come on? Another portion in scriptures, the Bible says they all with one consent began to make excuse. Excuse. I know a man who used to be very active in God's work. Would you look this way? I know a man who used to be very active in God's work. Out in the open airs, visiting people in the hospital, on mission trips, going on mission here and there. Very active. Showing up early to church, staying after this with people who are unconverted. I can remember him even chasing after an unconverted person out of the chapel to speak to him about his soul. And then all of a sudden he stopped. He stopped it all. Oh, and sometimes he may come to church and he may come even semi-regularly, but everything else has stopped and he has excuses as to why he cannot do those things anymore. Oh, he was invited. Time and time again, the brethren would say, where have you been? And, and uh, we miss you. You used to do this and you used to do that. And we'd call and say, would you come with us here and go with us there? And every time there was an excuse. No, I can't. Can't do that. No. No, sorry. I've got something else. Or maybe I'm tired. Excuse after excuse. And finally, after that going on for quite some time, People stopped asking. People stopped asking because they knew the answer was going to be no. And he got upset. He got upset. Nobody invites me anymore. And I, nobody visits me anymore. And the church has failed me. The church has forgotten about me. No. No, the truth is that man refused. Refused to obey. Refused to obey the Lord's leading and guiding. Refused to be obedient when the doors were open of Christian service. He refused. And there's nobody to blame but himself. Maybe today you're a bit like that man or that woman. How many times should you be asked? How many times should somebody come and say, please come, please come, would you please come? How many times do you know when it was that Israel was finally ready to obey God? Do you know when it was? When things got bad. The tragedy today is that many people are not ready to serve God until things get bad. And then they're ready to pray and then they're ready to read the Bible and then they're ready to, to get faithful and to do things right. When things got bad after they saw where their pride and stubbornness and disobedience was leading them. 
They say, oh, we don't want that. We, we don't want to die in the wilderness. We don't want to be stuck like this for the rest of our lives. Uh, we'll go in. We'll obey. But it doesn't work like that, my friend. It does not work like that. You do not get to decide when God gives you an opportunity. You do not get to write a letter to God and say, I'm, I'm ready now. So give me the opportunity now and then I'll, I'll obey. You don't get to figure it all out. It's not like a shopping list. It's not like a personal schedule or diary when you can tell God what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. When the opportunity is there, you better take it. The only thing you get to decide is whether you will be obedient when the opportunity is open in front of you. You don't get to decide when the opportunity comes or even necessarily what kind of opportunity it is. And so Moses says, it shall not prosper. You, you can go up there if you want to, but it's not going to prosper. Why? why? Why not? Why will it not prosper? Look at look what the scriptures tell us. The Bible says in verse 42, Moses says, go not up for the Lord is not among you. God's not with you. And it will not prosper. It will not prosper because it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about who you follow. It's about who you're following and who you're with. There's only two ways to live your life. A life of self-sufficiency or a life of God-sufficiency. That's it. No other way. You can live your life depending upon yourself and what you can do and what doors you can kick open and what doors and opportunities you can make happen. Or you can live your life following God, dependent upon him. And listen to the words that they say in verse number 40. They said they got up in the morning, went to the top of the mountain. Lo, we be here. Look, look, here we are. That word low means look. They were telling God, look, look at us. Look at us. Look where we are. Here we are. We're all here. We're all ready. We'll go up. We're going to do it, God. Now we're ready, Lord. Ready to serve you. And here's what we're going to do. That's self-sufficiency. You telling God to look at you and what you're doing and what you're going to do. That's self-sufficiency. And many Christians live that way. James tells us in that famous passage, James chapter 4 and verse number 13, go to now, listen carefully now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Listen carefully, he says. Those of you who think, uh, you're, you're telling God, look, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. Listen carefully. Because you know not what shall be on the morrow. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. My dear friend, Clifford Black is no longer alive today. 56 years old. I spoke to him two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, for two hours on the phone. He's not here. None of us know what tomorrow may bring forth. And we plan, we're so self-sufficient, we're so strong, self-dependent, and the truth is we're weak. We're going to make it right, God. I know, I know, Lord, I've been disobedient to you. I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to make it right. Look at me, look what we're going to do. Can I tell you something? Can I let you in on a little secret this morning? You cannot make it right. Hate to burst your bubble. You cannot do enough good things to make it right. You cannot do enough things. You cannot pray for enough hours. You cannot give enough money. You cannot do enough penance. You cannot climb up enough steps on your knees to make it right. 
You can't. That's self-sufficiency. If you could, then Jesus had no reason to come. But you can't. And God is not interested in looking down and seeing what you're going to do and what you're willing to do. He's interested in you humbling yourself and acknowledging that you cannot do it. That's what he wants. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 5, listen to what he says. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. You can either live a life of self-sufficiency or God-sufficiency. You will either live your life picking yourself up by your bootstraps, rolling your sleeves up, a life of self-sufficiency or a life of God-sufficiency, depending on Him. Which one will it be for you? These folks had gathered together. We will go up into the mountain. And Moses says, don't do it. Go not up because the Lord's not even with you. You're going to be killed. Don't do it. And you think they would have learned by now. Do you know what they did? The Bible says in verse 44, they presumed to go up into the top of the hill. Now you talk about foolish. You talk about foolish. They'd already knew what it was to disobey God. Now they heard the command from God saying, sorry, back into the wilderness. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't like that one. I like the first option. But God had moved on from option number one because you had refused it and given you not an option, command number two. They didn't like it, so they went back to number one. Too late. Too late. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses speaking 40 years later about the matter, he says in verse 41, Then ye answered, speaking to Israel, You answered to me, and said, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God had commanded us last time. And when ye had girded on every man his weapons of war, ye were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. Even there God was merciful. Even there, God said, look, if you go up, you're going to be killed. So I told you, I spake unto you, and you would not hear. You would not listen, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and went presumptuously up into the hill. Can I tell you, I don't mean to be offensive, but most of us, many of us are living our lives, our Christian lives very presumptuously. Running ahead of God, putting on our armor, putting on our sword. We're going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to... I'm going to fight here and I'm going to fight there presumptuously. And the Lord is not among us. The Lord is not among us. The one thing you and I need and the one thing Israel needed, by the way, if God was with them in the wilderness, the wilderness would be better than the promised land without him. Did you catch that? If God was with with them in the wilderness but not with them in the promised land, then the wilderness is better. And so as much as you may want your wilderness to change, as much as you may want the scenery to change, can I just tell you, if God is with you, if he be among you right where you are, is better than all the luxuries of life without him. So stay with him. Stay where he is. Jesus speaks about this. The marvelous thing about the New Testament is, as we recognize that we are laboring beneath a new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant made between God and the people. And the people said, we will do all that thou hast commanded us. And they couldn't. They couldn't. The new commandment is Christ Jesus saying, 
I'll do it all. I'll do it all. And whoever comes to me and believes on me, I will never turn away. Scriptures tell us in John chapter 15, that famous passage when Jesus speaks about being the vine and us being the branches. He says, I am the true vine. I want to give you this morning the answer. Okay, well, I do not want to be stuck here for 40 years. I also don't want to go presumptuously anywhere and get myself in deeper trouble. So what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Well, Jesus tells us, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Would you look here for a moment? Some of you are not being punished for disobedience. Some of you are being purged because of obedience. And you have mistaken the purging for punishing. Don't mistake it. Some of you think that because you're in a bad situation, things aren't going as smooth as you'd like them to go. Some of you think God's upset with you. No, no, no. God's purging you. He's sanctifying you. There's a difference. Those who do not bear fruit are cut off, cast into the fire. Those who do bear fruit, he purges. A clip here and a clip there, a prune here and a prune there. And it's painful. It's not enjoyable, but it is for your good. It's for your good. And then he says in verse 3, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Look here, here's what he's saying. You cannot be obedient. You cannot do what you should do. You cannot be what you should be except you abide in Christ. That's, that's the key. The key is not girding your sword. The key is not climbing a mountain. The key is not standing up against the opposition. The key is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Because you can't do anything except you abide in Him. You cannot stand the way you should stand. You cannot face persecution unless you abide in Christ. You cannot respond appropriately except you abide in Christ. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in me and the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And Israel had found that to be true. They were without him. And because they were without him, death and destruction followed. You can't do anything without him. The key is abiding in Christ communing with the Savior, living in Him and Him and you moment by moment, day by day. This is that principle throughout all the New Testament that speaks of that constant communion with Jesus. Do you know what that is? Have you experienced communion with Christ? Or do you have to come to a gathering like this and sit next to somebody who does to even get a a breeze of it? Do you know what it is yourself to abide in Him? If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And so shall ye be my disciples. That's interesting. The Lord was not among them and they were still going. Would you look here for a moment? The majority of Christians are still going and the Lord is not with them and they don't even know it. The majority of churches live that way. Planning, orchestrating, organizing, moving forward. We're going to do this, going to do that. God's not even with them and they don't even know it. You've heard it before that Chinese Christian went to visit America, came back and the pastor asked him, what was the most amazing thing you saw in America? And the man responded, how much the church can do without God. It's incredible. They were doing an awful lot. God was not among them. But do you know what Moses said in Exodus 34, last verse? In Exodus 34, there he was in the presence of God on the mountain. And do you remember God said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's the difference. The difference between Moses and the people where the people said, I'm going up God with or without you. And Moses said, I'm not going anywhere unless you're with me. That has to be the way we live. That has to be the way we live. Especially in these days. Especially in these dark days. We must be those who say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I'll also not go anywhere unless you lead me. Can I just tarry here for a moment? Sometimes we we get our ideas, don't we? Do you know what time it is, Pastor? We're supposed to be finished. My roast is in in the oven. It would do you and I good to say, I'll stay here all day, Lord, if you want me to. We get so methodical and patterned and things are going to be just right in this way. And at the end of the day, those are our ideas and our prescriptions and our organization and our structures are not God's. And we think God's got to work within the confines of that kind of an organization and structure. We put too much credence in structure rather than in presence. Presence. Is he with us? Is he with you? I was speaking with my wife and Carl on the way back from the airport this morning. We were talking about several truths. And one of the things we spoke about was how we often rush even in prayer. We don't, we don't give it enough time. We don't give enough time and we never really enter into the presence of God in our prayers because we're so, so much in a rush to go into the next thing. We're just rattling off our requests. And before you know it, we're finished. Amen. Thank you. See you later. Talk to you later. And we never really talked to God. We just talked out loud. And no wonder we look foolish because we aren't really talking to God. If you really talk to God, it wouldn't look foolish at all. People would know it. And so would you. So would you. Presence. Presence. I was speaking with a friend recently who attends a church where they have called a new minister. And he said, I asked him how things were going, and he said, well, the word is being preached, but there's no presence in the pulpit. No presence in the pulpit. What do you mean? Was they just playing it on the loudspeaker? No, no, no. Well, there was a human presence there, but no 
presence of the Lord. That's what we need. I'll give you one last illustration from my brother Clifford and his memory. Last time I visited Northern Ireland, Clifford was taking the students around, telling them stories. He told us of a story of a missionary who went to some island country, very poor country, in huts and no electricity. And there was a Western company, an organization that had figured out that they could make an awful lot of money from a type of tree that grew on that island. So they worked out a deal with the people. For a certain amount of money, they could harvest those trees and, and really make their product successful. So the people, of course, were delighted. A very poor people. And the first thing these people did when they received their paycheck was they headed for the big city. Their whole lives they had heard about the lights and the glamour and the flash. And they got to the big city and they went to mesmerized by the shopping centers and they went in and saw all of these things they'd never seen before. Radios and egg beaters and hair dryers and televisions and all sorts of marvelous new inventions. They were very wealthy, so they loaded up all that they possibly could, loaded up the carts pulled by donkeys and horses and carried all of these electronics back to their home. Got home and mounted the television on their shack wall and, and put the hair dryer there outside where the, where the makeshift toilet was and put the radio there next to the, the straw mattress, the straw bed and all of their electronics they put out. And they turned on all the buttons and nothing worked. Television wouldn't work and the hair dryer wouldn't work and the radio wouldn't turn on and the egg beaters wouldn't beat the eggs. And they said, we've been tricked. And the missionary came along and he said, oh, you have no power, no electricity. And we laugh that they would try to even turn on a television without electricity, without even recognizing the concept of electricity. But can I tell you, the majority of Christians live their lives the same way. All the latest modern gadgets and gizmos and all the latest techniques and methods, but no power, no presence of God. Power that is needed to convert a soul, the power that is needed to convict a heart, to, to turn the wayward ones back on track is gone. All the tools, no power. What about you? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, and it shall not prosper. Is he amongst us? Is he with you? If so, it will prosper. If not, it will never prosper. Gamaliel told the Pharisees one day when they were persecuting the apostles, leave him alone. If it be of God, you cannot fight against it. If it be not of God, it will come to naught. I hope that his presence is with you and with us. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this morning, and I pray it would be more than words. We would sense it in our heart that this is the one thing that is needful, thy presence. Thy presence. Lord, help us to know that thou art amongst us. Help us to know, if not, that we might stay right where we are until we're assured of it. Or we might return and do the first works. We might return again 
to our first love. Help us, I pray. We long not for worldly prosperity, but we long for spiritual prosperity. We want to be those who bring forth much fruit, Father, because we know it will glorify Thee. So bring us in, we pray, to an intimacy with Thy Son, that we might ever abide in Christ and He in us. Help us, Lord, I pray. Convict us if we are not abiding in Thy Son. And change us even today. For we ask it in Christ's name and for His sake.